the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I'm, um, I'm right now I'm in southwestern Missouri near Springfield, Missouri for the Mike Lindell conference on election integrity. And it has been fascinating. I'll talk about that in a moment. We also will have a chance to visit with my old friend Todd Benzman. Uh, and also, uh, Ryan Walters, a new guest uh, on the program. Um, he is, uh, from Oklahoma. He's the state superintendent and we're going to talk to him about what's going on in Oklahoma. So we, we well, you've got a lot there and, uh, we're in for a lot today. But first, uh, as I mentioned, what you need to know, the wink today is about election integrity. And visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and you can sign up for the daily email, the daily wink, what you need to know. The what you need to know is ProAmerica Report's wink. It goes out each morning, Monday through Friday, and it goes into your inbox, 8 a.m. East Coast time, 5 a.m. Pacific time, and everywhere in between. And it gives you a couple of links, a couple of stories. And what you need to know, a focus. Uh, I, people really enjoy it. Go to ProMarkReport.com and sign up. All right. Today's wink. Today's what you need to know is about election integrity. So let me tell you what we've got here. Let me tell you what is happening. In Springfield, Missouri, which is down in southwest Missouri, uh, in that part of the state, um, kind of go out Route 44 from New, uh, from, uh, St. Louis about three and a half hours. And, uh, there is a, there is a, a series of hotels and a convention center and a gathering of folks for Mike Lindell's two day, he calls it election crime bureau and election integrity sessions. Now it was, it, the meeting, which is uh, uh, still got a few more uh, speakers to go, but and and the, and the highlight is uh, is uh, Mike Lindell revealing his plans, what he thinks needs to happen in the next fifteen or sixteen months. But the gathering is a cross section of what I would say are um, leaders in the in the sort of election integrity movement. Um, you know, big names, Mike Lindell, uh, Ken Paxton, the attorney general of Texas, Rudy Giuliani, others. And then Emerald Roberts Robinson, the journalist who does a lot. Uh, Steve Bannon is, is here, but then also grassroots folks, because what Mike Lindell has been saying for uh, a couple of years now is sort of get local, get local, get to the county level and figure it out. And so there's all these people. And I, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I'm from Missouri. I've done a lot of grassroots tea party organizing, my work with the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, but meeting folks here, it's lots of new people, which is very exciting. It's really, really good news, uh, because new people bring fresh blood and also because new people bring fresh energy. And, and, you know, that a lot of times you get tired out if you're slogging away. So very interesting meeting. And I'll tell you the open of the meeting was a welcome from Mike Lindell, which was maybe 15 minutes, which is always stirring. The guy is a really amazing man. Um, his wife did the blessing at the beginning, but then he showed a couple of videos. And here's what you need to know. There are still so many questions about 2020, about exactly what went on that have never been answered. 
And I don't think, and Mike was careful, I don't think we're spending any time, we should spend any time trying to necessarily relitigate 2020. There's, it's too far back. It's, there's not a path to do it that's meaningful. But Mike's point was there were so many things that didn't add up that were significantly wrong with what happened that we have to think to ourselves, how do we go forward? How do we go forward in 2024 and protect the election? And it's, it is true that, uh, I, I'm against ballot harvesting. I think it's a bad idea. I think it's abused by the left and the, and, and the money interests. Uh, but I know a bunch of people promote it, but that's only one piece of the puzzle. I, it's true that I'm against voter registration fraud and the voter registration pushes and all. I think we need to be much more intentional about. I'm all, I'm, I'm, I'm there, but. Where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people is uh, Mike Lindell and, the, and folks here. You listen, and you say, what's the path forward? The path forward has to be an election day, one day. It has to be paper ballots that are traceable, that are not hooked up to computers, that are not on the Internet. It has to be hands on ballots. I mean, we can do this. And one of the things that Mike Lindell said in his talk was, Beware of other nations, he said it about other nations, that have a system that relies on all the electronics and all the systems that are that don't seem to be clear enough, transparent enough, accountable enough. He said because, and it's a great way to say it, everyone who's elected under that system thinks the system worked. They think the system worked perfectly. It's It's psychologically impossible to think that the system is broken if you won. I shouldn't say that. It's not psychologically impossible. It's psychologically difficult for someone to say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know, election that I won, that that was corrupt. That was a selection, not an election. It's obviously difficult to demand that to happen. So we shouldn't try, actually. Instead, we should say, how do we make it more transparent? How do we make it so it's more accountable? How do we give people confidence? And I'm reminded of the lesson I learned when I ran the election board in uh, 2005 and six in St. Louis. And the lesson I learned there was you have to run a good system. And it's very hard. It's complicated. It's got a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. You only get to practice three or four times a year, you know, on a primary and maybe a municipal election. So you don't get a lot of practice. It's not like you can, you know, even moot court when you have a, a single trial or a single argument. You can moot court it 20 times and you can get pretty close. Well, when you have an election, it's hard to run elections and get the sense of how an election day goes. So it's hard work. That's number one. The number two, though. Is people have to believe the system works. If they don't believe the system works, they start to not check in. They start to check out is a better way to say it. They start to think that it's not worth the trouble. They start to move on to other things. And so you've got to worry about both those things. Here's, here's what, um, here's what I would say. I have to say, I salute Mike Lindell again and again. Uh, partly he's a nice man. Partly he's impressive and he's, he cares a lot about people and you see that. But partly it's the entrepreneurial spirit. It, it's so quintessentially American. He, he talks about how people say in Minnesota, where he's from, that if it was Democrats that were getting the elections messed up, he'd still be protesting. They believe that. But here's the thing. He believe, he, he believes in trying, trying that he believes in, in seeing if a, if something works and failing fast and, and jumping into things with, sort of uh, entrepreneurial spirit. In the case of elections, he has not been leading the public effort in the last I don't know, year. He did for a while back. He did do more public things. And this event is public. 
or it's streamed online. But he's more, he's gone out and he's gone to counties. He's gone to local communities. He said, what do you need to succeed? How do you think the system's working? What could we do to make it work better? How would it fit together? And he's, he's, he's adjusted to the moment we're in. I, I hate to be, use this as a soapbox just to be critical, but I will in this sense. Mike Lindell's meeting, which was a couple thousand people attending in and out of the place. I mean, I met a lot of folks and there was a lot that were there that, but it's, um, it's what the national party should be doing. It's what the state parties should be doing because it's a kind of organizing and informing and then sending people on their way. And just by nation, the nature of the training and the nature of the, the effort, it is confidence creating. You know, you don't have in-person meetings just to make sure that people, I don't know, understand that they look it in their eyes and they understand the system. It's not just that. You have these meetings in person because you can fortify people. Yes, you can inform them. Yes, you can teach them, but you fortify them, encourage them. I, I Sometimes I give a talk and I say fortify and uh, fellowship. They go together so importantly when you're talking about doing things that take a lot of time, aren't going to get a lot of uh, uh, attention, aren't usually paid, sometimes get you some antagonism from people. So Mike Lindell is, is, is really very creative about how he is approaching this. And I think it's so American and generally it's so successful. You know, he if he doesn't fail in the first iteration, he w- goes again. And again, at the, at what I would go back to at the beginning of this uh, two-day conference, he spent a chunk of time saying, look, don't look back. Don't worry about looking back. Don't worry that you can't fix what happened. Instead, say, how do we make what we're doing now transparent, accountable, manageable, so that people have the confidence that the system works, that so we actually know it works, and what can we do? And the big factor here is that he thinks, and I agree, that you got to get away from the electronics. You got to get away from the electronics and the, and the stuff that you can't figure out. I mean, he, he makes the argument at one point in, in January uh, uh, of 2021, maybe February also, he said, you know, uh, people were saying, you can't say this and say that about some system. And he was saying, just show it to us. If it's working, show it to us. We, we're not saying we know it's not working, but you should be able to show it to us. And if someone's saying it doesn't make sense to me, you should want to show them. We're talking about the electronic machines or any system. And it's not that you have to run around and, and, and give everyone that has a complaint a full showing. But when you have enough people that are like, what happened here? How do we know what this was? That's really worth it. And what you need to know is Mike Lindell is heroic in his efforts to make this happen. It's extraordinary to see. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. We'll uh, get a lot more. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Todd Benzman. And he's got a piece over at the Daily Mail, dailymail.com, dailymail.com. Actually, it's daily. I'll put the link up. It's easier. I'll put it in my social media. And uh, he's uh, talking about the, uh, Joe Biden's battle to uh, save the river mussels, the river mussels. So so, so tell us about what, it, what exactly. First of all, what is a river mussel? Is that something somebody can eat or is that something that you, you don't eat? <laughs> It's a shellfish. I don't know whether you can eat this one, uh, but <laughs> the it's a, it's called the uh, Mexican farnsfoot. 
Okay. And it's uh, clearly threatened and has been threatened for uh, 30 years or so. All right. Uh, but it just so happens to live, uh, populations live in the Eagle Pass, Texas area of the Rio Grande River, right where Governor Greg Abbott has placed the first thousand feet of his marine floating marine barrier that the Biden administration is suing to have removed. Uh, and uh, lots of battles over this thing. The uh, liberals and Democrats want this thing moved. And so I guess they finally came up with, you know, one way to do it if all else fails, which is to declare this muscle an endangered species and give it protection under the Endangered Species Act, which then would give the Biden administration some kind of a hook to delay or even remove the water barrier. Not that they're explaining how floating buoys uh, kill mussels that live in the mud down below. Uh, that's kind of beside the point, I think, here. It's a cynical ploy to uh, you know, find some way, some kind of a hook to uh, kill this water marine barrier because – this water marine barrier works really well everywhere it's been tried. So, uh, we're, again, we're talking with Todd Benzman. He is the uh, Senior National uh, National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He's written the book Overrun uh, from Post Hill Press um, on the Biden administration. But so th- th- linking these two together, you told us in the last couple of weeks – these barriers that are in the water have been very effective at at least controlling the flow. Now, uh, is it literally true? I mean, actually a true fact that just now they've decided to declare this an endangered species, which therefore changes how they can handle it. Is that, is that true? Or is it, is there more, is there something nuanced in that? I mean, it's so blatant. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, the first time that, anybody has raised the alarm about the, these muscles was in 1991. Okay. And that has been done in the 30 years since then to declare it a, a, an endangered species. And actually in 91, they were just proposing to study whether to declare it as an endangered species, but only on, on July 24th, which is right about when they put the Marine barrier up, did the U.S. Fish and Wildlife suddenly propose a regulation to actually do it, declare it an endangered species, expend, extend endangered species protection to this mussel that lives mainly in the Eagle Pass area, right where the barrier is, and um, also to declare uh, protected uh, waters uh, for 185 miles downstream. I which see. is some of the most heavily trammeled uh, immigration pathways along the river there, which is also where uh, Greg Abbott planned to put more marine barrier. I see. Gotcha. Okay. So that's, so it so is you that. You kind of see what it is. What, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that is that transparent. All right. And, and, um, so that's what they did. Yeah. I hate to, is it working? Well, the barriers only, there's only a thousand feet. They just put a thousand feet up. So it's clearly a, a major threat to illegal immigration. Everybody knows it. You can't get over these things and you can't get under them. Plus, 
uh, I wrote a piece a little bit earlier for the New York Post outlining, you know, my research about where uh, about everywhere else that these marine barriers have been used, uh, like in, around the island of Singapore to stop illegal immigration. And it worked. It shut down illegal immigration to that island state by about 80 percent. Uh, and everywhere these things are used at naval yards or to protect uh, tankers or to protect uh, sensitive uh, assets uh, from sabotage, divers, boats, you know, carrying, uh, you know, explosives, whatever, uh, they work. And um, we really saw the, the um, prevalence of these barriers after the 2000 attack, terror attack on the USS Cole. In right, uh, you know really kind of calm water uh, ports, so I think that's what the problem is here: is that they work, and everybody knows it. And if Abbott were to be able to be allowed to extend this thing downriver, it would sh- it would shut it all off. <laughs> Nobody would be able to cross the river really anymore. So that's a real threat to those guys. And and as I point out, one last thing here is I point out in the piece is. Um, elaborately is just how filthy the Rio Grande has become from this mass migration crisis and no environmentalist has ever said a single word about it because they're on the side of mass migration no matter how much filth and dirt and garbage they dump into that river on their way into the U.S. and all along the river banks uh, that I've seen and I, I show photos and video of all of this horrendous damage, environmental damage being done. Nobody cared at all about the environment until a marine barrier went up and they figured out a way to claim environmentalism to shut down the marine barrier. I I propose that if you really want to protect the uh, Mexican Farns foot clam, that you build more marine barriers because right. nobody's going to come. They're not going to be crushing the mud underfoot like they do now. Uh, we're t- again, we're talking with uh, Todd Benzman, uh, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. Hey, go to ToddBenzman.com, his website, and see his book, Overrun, or anywhere they sell books. Um, Todd, just a, a, a f- kind of a couple minutes left. It is, um, is any of this – are you seeing – I always ask you this question, but are you seeing – attention to the issue picking up either from the media or from the politicians. I mean, this is a pretty good, this is a kind of story that would get some attention just because it's like a novelty story, which helps get some shine, some light on it. Are you seeing much change in how people are perceiving things? No, I think I'm it. Uh, You'll only read about (laughs) the Mexicans farms foot and the endangered species act. In my pieces for the Daily Mail, and uh, I wrote one also for CIS.org with a little bit more detail on it. Uh, That is just simply not an issue. Nobody's paying attention to it. What what the media is paying attention to are false claims that the that the and propaganda claims from the hard left that the marine barrier is killing immigrants. That it has that it's strewn with razor wire that's uh, intended to cut and slice immigrants. Uh, that it's killed uh, a child. That it's killed. It, it's done none of that. All of that is untrue. It's propaganda. You see uh, lawsuits by the by the Biden administration 
by a kayaking company and lots of uh, complaints from the Mexican government uh, calling it inhumane and a violation of international law. When you start to hear things like this, that's because those people know in their guts that this thing is a real threat to mass migration. It really stops it. It really works. And that's when they go to town and declare World War III on some kind of a measure or a tactic that's actually going to work. Well, once again, Todd, thank you. Todd Benzman uh, gives us the update on what's happening down at the border. Extraordinary. Uh, again, his book is Overrun, available at toddbenzman.com as well as anywhere they sell books. Thanks again, Todd. Be careful down there. Thank you much. All right. Todd Benzman, everybody. And I'll put up on social media a link to that story. Extraordinary. I mean, it reminds me, by the way, of Reagan, uh, who wrote in 1977 and 78 when he was getting ready to run for president, uh, uh, wrote and uh, spoke uh, in his radio commentaries about a small uh, little fish that they were basically turning uh, California upside down because of the protecting it. And, but in this case, they're actually using the endangered species act just as a sword to try to uh, protect illegal immigration. Uh, great to have Todd Benzman down there. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, very, very interesting. I do love the state of Oklahoma, not just because it's a uh, next-door neighbor from uh, Missouri, where I'm from, but there's really cool people from there all over the years, and, and some friends of mine have moved there. Well, our next guest is actually the superintendent of public instruction for Oklahoma. His name is Ryan Walters. Now you think, well, that sounds like a big job. How do you get that job? Is he a friend of the governor or whatever? No, in Oklahoma, and they run for this position statewide in Oklahoma, make the argument and win to be the superintendent of public instruction. He had previously served as the Secretary of Education, which is an advisory role, uh, but this is one that you run for. If you follow him on Twitter, Ryan Walters, S-U-P-T, Supt, uh, Superintendent. And uh, welcome, sir. How are you? I, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I, I'm doing well. We are moving our education system and getting it back on track here in Oklahoma. So we're going to keep fighting for parents over here. Well, it's a good time to be in the spot you're in as a conservative because parents, I think, woke up from COVID. Uh, they woke up from uh, some of this crazy uh, uh, transgender stuff. But let me, before we get to that, let me ask you about um, running for this office because a few months ago, I think, uh, former President Trump floated something about like electing our local, maybe our even our principals. And and of course, the people went crazy. They were like, oh, no, no, I can't do this. Here, Here's my point. You get a different kind of accountability when you're a candidate, right? You're going to have to answer questions differently be responsive differently i i really like the idea of having an elected education leader uh, tell me about your thoughts on it you you deal with a lot of people across the country in different states i know that would be your colleagues that would be you know picked by a school board or elected or appointed it, there's a lot of different ways to do this listen i think that there's a lot of wisdom in having these elected offices because here's what you've seen in education for so long you have an established elitist group. A lot of times has higher ed influence. It's teachers unions. It's administrators associations that claim that they are the only people who should really speak into what our education system looks like. That's absolute right. nonsense. Taxpayers are paying for our education system in our states. We have parents, grandparents who know their kids and their grandkids better than anybody else does. We have a government bureaucracy that's grown and grown and grown. And so the reality is, is, you know, hey, when we ran for this office, I took the message right to the people. I, I went and met with parents, groups, grandparents, taxpayers from across the state. 
And we had a real conversation. What do you want an education to look like for the next generation? What, what do we want? We you know what we want. We want all the liberal indoctrination out of the classroom. And we want to shift the focus back to reading, writing, arithmetic and true American history where you understand American exceptionalism. You understand the principles this country was founded on. And again, it inspires this generation to want to continue this great experiment we know as America, but also it inspires them individually. People want high expectations on their kids. People want their kids to have character values. People want their kids to, hey, maybe you go to college. That's great. But you know what? Maybe you don't go to college. Maybe you get right into a trade school. Maybe you get right into the workforce through an internship or externship program. We want to make sure that all kids have every direction possible in their life to meet meet up with their God-given skills and talents. And so that's what we heard and that's what we ran on. And so we were able to win with a mandate that we're going to come in here and shake things up to make sure that we get that education system back on track. Well, again, we're talking with uh, Ryan Walters, and he is the superintendent of Oklahoma schools. And uh, I'll put up on Twitter a link to his uh, his Twitter handle. But let me go to this piece. You have an op-ed piece a few days ago over at uh, Fox News. And uh, China is paying the piper in our public schools. The problem with China-backed programs in schools is twofold. I First of all, let me let me clarify. Uh, when you're in charge of Oklahoma schools, are you all the way from K through 12 and then through college or are you K through 12? And and do, do these Confucius Chinese funded institutions? I don't think I knew. Are they going down to K through 12? Yeah, so I'm K through 12. And yes, sir. So let me give you a little bit of context on this story that is just every parent's worst nightmare. Back in the early 2000s, what we had is we had these communist Chinese government was paying for these Confucius institutes in both higher ed and K-12. President Trump comes in. He puts regulations in place, which flushes them out of our higher ed institutions and our K-12 institutions. Biden loosens these restrictions. Then what we see is the Chinese government starts funneling money through a nonprofit in Texas and paying for these institutions. Listen to this. Higher ed actually shuts them all down because it was obvious this was the same money being laundered through this nonprofit. But 28 K-12 institutions across the country continued doing these programs, even though they knew that's where the money came from. One Hmm. of them is in Tulsa Public Schools, which, again, as you've already connected, it's no coincidence that our biggest school, also our worst performing school, is the school that takes in every left-wing indoctrination program. But this one, not pushed by just American leftists. This is literally the Chinese communist government saying you have to tell these positive stories about our Chinese communist government. They literally censor some material. You cannot talk about these issues in our government. And so not only are we undermining American exceptionalism, we're undermining our institutions. We're literally promoting this radical Chinese oh. communist government. Can, can can you get it out? Can you as in your position or does it can you get it out of that school system or does it the local school board get a say? Can the legislature do it? I mean, what is the uh, what is what's the next step on this? Oh, we are going to get it out. Um, right now, we've required uh, the district to turn over all the information. Where'd the money come from? How much money did you get? What are the contracts? What is the content? What were all the curriculum that you were given for this course? We are now working with our legislature and our, and our legal bodies to figure out, do we need a statute? Do we Can we do an executive order? But this will absolutely be made illegal in the state of Oklahoma. And again, I, I've been trying to issue this you know, warning sign for everybody across the country to go, guys, I mean, I, I know it's hard to believe, but we need laws on the books that say you cannot take money from a hostile foreign government to promote propaganda in your K-12 child schools. 
Yeah, it's awesome that you're doing this in part. I, you know, I tell people the Soviet Union after the fall of the communists, the Soviets, we discovered how much uh, infiltration they were doing. And, and there's no reason to think that the, the Chinese are any less in, uh, aggressive than the Soviets. I mean, in fact, there's lots of reasons to think they're more aggressive. Does the, this is Tulsa. Tulsa is where this is. I, I mean, Oklahoma is a big state. I think of it as a red state. I think most people do across the country listening, but you get these pockets, right? And so Tulsa would be, uh, like, like, I hate to say it. Like uh, um, St. Louis, where I'm from, or San Francisco, where they had terrible prosecutors that have let the violence go up. They also have terrible schools. And so uh, are the citizens of Tulsa that have lived through this, are they getting it? Are you finding it popular with maybe non-traditional Ryan Walters supporters? Absolutely. Oh, oh, th- we are driving this message through. Um, you know, I've actually demanded the uh, superintendent of Tulsa Public Schools resign, step down. We've got to get new leadership in there. It is unconscionable. This has been allowed to happen. 12% of kids there read on grade level. They've allowed a million dollars to be embezzled. I mean, it is a complete disaster, but I'm connecting all these things because this is what right. you see in these districts that are run by radical leftists. As we go out into the community, number one, absolutely, you've got conservatives with with common sense values going, how in the world did this happen here in Oklahoma? And number two, you just have common folks that go, the kids aren't reading on grade level. We have most of the districts here, 65% of her schools in her district are failing schools, which means they're in the bottom 5%. What is going on? And what you see is leftist ideologues in our education system that are truly more concerned with creating social justice warriors than they are creating a competent learner who can actually read, write, and do math at a basic level. Hmm. Ryan Walsh, our guest, he is the superintendent of schools in Oklahoma, elected a position statewide. One, I just have a little bit over a minute left along the same lines. And I, this is harder one, I think, in some ways, harder to sell because parents use them as crutches. But social media is such a crutch for kids. And TikTok is another source, one of the dominant sources for young people. How how do you handle that one? Are you going to are you going to have a, a plan for TikTok? I mean, that's a tougher one, I guess, to do at the local or the state level compared to federal. But seems like a problem the same way. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the things we've been doing is working on guidance around, look, you know, what you have is you have the Chinese communist government that is trying to influence our kids through TikTok, through social media, and then directly through funding these things. And again, this is where, first of all, we have to block these ways of influencing our kids and indoctrinating them. But number two, we also have to be aggressive in pushing, what do we want in our schools? We are launching a significant civics package for our districts of curriculum, of trainings, of professional development, because here's the reality. We have to play... We have to get these out. So we got to play some defense, but then we got to turn this into offense. Hey, our kids should know more today about the founding than ever before. This country is under a greater attack today the indoctrination of our young people than we've ever seen in our history. So this war now is going on for the minds of our young people. You have to be aggressive and go, hey, here's our founding documents. Read the declaration. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to flag this for you. What you've seen in our history classes, I'm a former history teacher, so that's what I did before before I stepped into this role. What you've seen is they've moved away from primary sources. They don't want your kids reading the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution or the Federalist Mm -hmm. Papers. Well, why is that? (laughs) They'll let you read what a 1960s professor says about these documents, and it completely shifts – yeah. The understanding of what made this country great. We have, I mean, I'm telling you, first of all, it's a disservice to the intellect of our kids. Our kids can understand these documents. We went through all the Federalist Papers and we did deep dives on every line in my class. They're capable of it. But number two, it allows them to shield them from what the actual meaning of the documents was and indoctrinate them. Yeah. Ryan Walters, hey, thank you very much. The superintendent of schools in uh, Oklahoma, I'll put up on social media. Excellent. I've got to run on a break here. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. And now from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. When the subject comes up of cutting the budget for public schools, we hear whining and moaning about the indignities schools are supposedly forced to endure because of the economic downturn. One of these key themes is what they call the class size crisis. Teachers like smaller classes. That's understandable. The advantages include fewer papers to grade, fewer students to manage, and fewer parents to deal with. The teachers' unions like smaller classes, too. Smaller classes mean more teachers and more union dues. Every new member in California enables the teachers' union to pocket $600 a year in dues. And parents like smaller classes because they believe their children will benefit from more individual attention. Everyone agrees that smaller classes are better, right? Well, however, this general belief is not verified by research. Since the 1950s, the U.S. student population has increased 60%, while the number of workers in public schools, including teachers, administrators, and other staff, has risen 300%. A Hoover Institution economist examined 277 studies and found that in three-fourths of the cases, reducing class size made no improvement whatsoever. Teacher-pupil ratios in the United States have diminished steadily since the 1950s when the ratio was 27 kids per teacher. By 1970, the ratio was 22 to 1, and now the ratio is down to 15 to 1. But these smaller classes certainly have not made our kids smarter. Test scores have stagnated for 40 years. Classes are much larger in Korea and Japan, two countries that regularly rank ahead of us in international tests. I think class size is pretty much irrelevant to what the kids are actually learning. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. If you're busy taking notes, you can stop now because these commentaries in written form and spoken audio are archived on the website phyllisschlafly.com, many recorded by Mrs. Schlafly herself. If you're doing research or missed a day, just go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and re-listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome, 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 Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. Visit ProAmericaReport.com, by the way, to sign up for the daily email, a daily wink. You want that, ProAmericaReport.com. Great to be with you. I am, in fact, Ed Martin. And so let me finish with a brief description of um, a gentleman, okay? And I mean that. There's a guy named Michael Caputo. Now, you may know Michael Caputo. If you watch closely, he was an assistant secretary at HHS. He was uh, very early, I think, I mean, literally the beginning of the Trump campaign in 2015. He's a super nice man. And um, he had cancer in the middle of a lot of other stuff. He had cancer. And he fought it. And I think he I know he survived it, but I think he's also doing really well. He's just a super guy. And um, funny footnote, at a certain point, um, the um, he 
he was renting an apartment. His family was, I think, in upstate New York. And now I think he lives in Florida. But um, and he was renting an apartment in D.C. And the apartment was in the first floor of the building uh, kind of townhouse where the Phyllis Shifley Eagles D.C. office is. And he came out and I was like, and I'd never met him, I don't think, before. And I said, are, are you Michael Caputo? And he said, yeah. And I said, holy cow, that's great. And I said, I appreciate what you've done. You know, your public uh, persona uh, has been really awesome. Uh, just as such an interesting guy. And the only thing I think I joked to the Tim at the time, he's a Bills maniac. He's a he's a Buffalo Bills fan, and he always drags that into everything. And I, I don't dislike the Bills. I just think it's funny to give somebody grief. So I think I teased him about that. But a lovely guy, Michael Caputo, and a wonderful guy with a, a wonderful career and all. He had a tweet the other day, and the tweet was um, about the cost, the high cost of the targeting of people like they're doing in these cases. So it, the tweet re reads like this. I spent $300,000 plus on lawyers in the Clinton Russia hoax, and I was just a witness. The 18 additional targets in the Georgia indictment are in far more legal, uh, are in far uh, in for far more legal expenses. They'll lose their homes, pull their kids out of schools, delay medical care. And then he wrote, if you laugh, you're going to hell because Hillary Clinton laughed at everyone. Here's the thing. First of all, he knows what for he's talking. He, he was a witness to the Clinton Russia hoax. In other words, the Clinton Russia hoax it, it dragged in all sorts of people and forced them to be witnesses, even though it was a lie. And they had to spend tons of money to defend themselves because you're being put in a position where if you don't answer the questions right, they're going to charge you with perjury or they're going to spin you around in circles. Very hard. It's at the highest level. It's basically being dragged. It, it, it would be something like being uh, a, uh, the, a trainer on a major league baseball team and getting dragged into the, onto the playing field and forced to play. You've been watching other people play at the highest level. It's not been your role. Your, your role is a different role. Maybe it's like a coach being a coach, although some of the coaches are players. Anyway, it's a bad, bad metaphor I'm doing there, but you get my point. And so he wrote this. And this is what I would say. Remember the select committee of January 6th, the Benny Thompson congressman, the Liz Cheney congresswoman, that debacle. They, they subpoenaed thousands and thousands of people who had to go and get a lawyer and, and, and pay $5,000 just to answer the subpoena. Sometimes they had to spend $50,000. I think, I think I know that Joe Flynn, one of the Flynn family spent $50,000 to have to go before a grand jury for one uh, sitting because he had to be careful. And the point is thousands of people forced to spend tons of money. They don't have the money. They shouldn't have to spend the money. It's a fake thing. It's a hit job. It's lawfare. And the lawfare doesn't in every case have to put you in jail. It can just, and it doesn't even have to put you in, in the, in the, as a defendant. Unindicted co-conspirators in these cases are going to have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to be careful. I, I met a guy the other night. We talked. He said the Department of Justice is looking at him because he had said out loud that he was against the election of 2020, thought there was squirrely stuff. And then he participated in some of the forums, fora, I guess it is, that looked at these things. So my point here is Michael Caputo first. I want you to know his name. What a super guy. What a super guy. And then if you go on his Twitter feed at Michael R. Caputo, you'll see his comment and watch the comments afterwards and you'll see. And so Benny Thompson and Liz Cheney, the, their time 
on this earth. I hope they get the Lord and they get healed because what they did to people was evil. What was evil. And he's right. When Hillary Clinton laughs, because why? Because she's exempt from accountability. She never feared that she'd go to jail. She never feared that she'd go broke because she was living off of the largesse that was generated by being the Clinton Foundation corrupts. The corrupts. Just like Biden did. Biden said, oh, the Clintons did billions. I'm just going to do 50 million or whatever it is. The point here is this lawfare is not just targeting people. It's not just targeting people who are paying attention to, it's not just targeting people who are defendants. It's targeting people all around them, all these witnesses. And the impact is on families. I, I know it from January 6th. January 6th is uh, the defendants, the ones that are in jail. Their families are devastated. And they're devastated in every way you can think of. It's just terrible. So, and it's evil that people don't see it. It's evil that people don't see it. And so, um, terrible stuff. Anyway, thank you to Michael Caputo for being a, a really good dude, a really good guy, uh, and uh, a great man of faith also, because he has needed it, I think, to get through everything he's through. It's really cool. So check it out. And he made a very wise point. Uh, there you have it. All right. We have to take a break. Uh, we, I will say, um, as usual, thank you to the great Noah Dingley, our producer, as well as to our associate producers, Ryan Height and Mason Mohan. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 